Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. As I allude to in my opening comments for this interview, Between Two Burrows really grabbed me to see their new show with the title, Cannibal Galaxy, A Love Story. I will say up front, however, that while you should also come for the galactic cannibalism, you should stay for the poignant and very funny exploration of how humans process trauma. I spoke with the folks behind Between Two Burrows and the show's playwright after a recent performance. I'll let them introduce themselves. Take a listen. Uh, you're very welcome, Michelle. I mean, this is a dynamic podcast. Uh, but uh, I'd like to start with everyone's name on the mic. Welcome to the podcast. Tell me who you are and uh, what you did on Cannibal Galaxy, which I'm not going to lie. Good reason why I came to the show is because the show is called Cannibal Galaxy. Sweet. I'm glad you approve. I'm Cherie Screen, and I'm the playwright. I'm Jen Holtman. I'm the director and one of the artistic directors of Between Two Burrows. I'm Becca Schneider. I'm the other artistic director of Between Two Burrows, and I played Claire in the play. And we have the unique situation where we have two producers, director, and playwright, where everyone's just going to point at everyone else to describe what the show is. So I always start with, you know, like, what is your basic pitch for the show when you tell somebody, come to see Cannibal Galaxy? Uh, what are you telling them to come and see? So who's going to get that honor? Uh, it does always come down to the playwright, let's be honest. Well, I tell people that it's a story about what happens when we're forced to deal with the impossible. And I also remind them that it's a dark comedy. Dark comedy is a good way to describe this. Um, I would um, just, I, by, I don't want to spoil anything, but a yeah. traumatic event happens uh, in the show pretty early on, and it's a traumatic event that sadly a lot of us in the um, United States have been dealing with, uh, often in the media. Um, this is something that came up in the talkback uh, that we just had here this evening. And uh, I think it's a sad commentary on the state of maybe my brain or the state of the United States where um, I had to check myself real quick and say, wait a minute, did this actually happen? <laughs> There's too many to process. There's too many to run through, you know, traumatic events. And so um, can you just, Sharice, like, go, go a little further and tell me about like where this came from for you. And uh, I think it's pretty easy to say we are in a traumatic moment uh, in the United States um, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is this a way to process it? And uh, how, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be glib, but like, how did that go for you? Yeah, sure. No, it's a good question. And I, I do want to talk specifically about it. And if it ends up ruining the moment of surprise, I think it's okay, just because I don't know how to talk in code about it with this particular question. Absolutely. And I don't think it is a spoiler, really. Cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Sandy Hook shootings were a formative moment for me in beginning to write the play. Um, I... Uh, I, I was having trouble processing, uh, like most of us, the num- sheer numbers of, of deaths in, um, in our children. And, um, and so I started to sort of, uh, I was wandering around the Science Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, right after the event, and I, I started to think about um, the relationship between violence, science, and spirituality in our country. Um, I've always been a pretty spiritual person. I've also uh, been a person who loves fact-based information. So I am a self-professed nerd. Um, I also have my own faith that 
sort of works for me. I, I guess I would say that I'm Buddhist more than anything else, which of course isn't a religion, more of a philosophy. But, you know, my, my faith is challenged every time we come up against these events. And um, I guess I was, I was thinking about how logic collides with faith and how that collides with violence in our country, which is uh, all too real and all happening all too often. And so I, I started writing from there. Um, the actual workers of the Science Museum came, became really fascinating to me mm. as a starting place of um, how, how that brain looks at the universe at large and then also looks at the microcosm of trauma in any given moment. So um, it became a play that, as I, our assistant director, Molly Rose Heller calls a, a play about cosmic trauma, but it started with conversations between workers of a science museum coping with what feels like the impossible. Well, it's a neat trick because it, you kind of pick the perfect people to live at that intersection of violence, spirituality, and science for the, that you're trying to get at. Like these, these seem to be the excellent, perfect characters. I'm glad you think so. Um, <laughs> that's deeply comforting. Yeah, and I've been surrounded. I'm just a jerk with a microphone. No, They'll, you're I'm very. Not, I'm not the guy who's going to comfort no, you, you here. You are spouting wisdom, um, and I, I have been surrounded by a lot of academics in my life, and there's a distancing that is. Um, we all do when moments like this happen, and we all lean on, I think, different coping mechanisms to safely distance ourselves from um, from being in the feeling all the time because we can't live in it all, all the time. We just can't. We have to find a way to move forward. But I, I love science. <laughs> I wish I knew more about it. So I started doing a ton of research um, specifically about galactic cannibalism because it really felt like the apex of what I was feeling, which is the question of where do, where do creativity and violence collide? And what's, what's the meeting point of those things? And, um, and, and what comes of these moments of trauma? Because it's not only darkness, right? Creativity and community um, so often come from, from these moments that feel very dark and impossible, which isn't to glorify them, forgive them, or um, to cheapen them in any way. It just is true that I find that more often than not, I feel connected to people on the subway when the impossible has taken place in the news. That seems to be the moment where we take a deep breath and make eye contact and where we no longer just bury our noses in our New Yorkers or whatever it is. And what better place of contact do we have than independent theater? And mm-hmm. that, this is my terrible segue into... It was beautiful. Uh, no, really well done. I, I, well I, but, but I, and I mean that sincerely. I, I'm, you know, self-deprecating probably to a fault here. But um, I, there was a full house here tonight, and uh, it felt very much like a, a communal sort of experience, as any good theater should feel. Um, as the between two bureaus... Between two boroughs is the right word that I'm trying to say. Uh, folks, like, how did this play come to you? And um, what, what did, you, did you find this play fully formed and know that this would be the communal experience that you wanted to put in the West Village? Like, uh, just tell me a little bit more about like, how this uh, came to be for y'all. Um, well, we've been friends with Sharice yeah. for a long time. I've known Sharice for a little over six years and uh, introduced Jen and Sharice uh, I don't know when, whenever you did lying in uh, Blessed Unrest, uh, so a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I had happened to read Charisse's play just as, as a friend to see what it was like, and then a while after that, when Jen and I were looking for our next production, we knew we wanted to do something new, something that was cultur- culturally relevant, 
And I thought, oh, what about that play? That treat- I wonder if she would let Jen read it. <laughs> that is sadly way too culturally relevant <laughs> yes. right now. Yeah, yeah. and so we read it, and then we met with Sharice about two years ago to talk about if, if she would let us produce it. And she always says it's the opposite. But we we begged her to let us do it. And um, it's not true. Uh, it had already been workshopped by uh, Faultline Theater out at Xavier University in Ohio. And I think you read it before the workshop. That's and right. And I read it after the workshop. Where and... it had been uh, changed uh, mm-hmm. through that process. And then we did a couple of readings and did a couple of workshops and started applying for grants and developing it over the past couple of years as we let it built up to um, auditions in March, and now here we are for, I mean, we, we couldn't have asked for a better space at the New Ohio. And brilliant use of the uh, space at the New Ohio. <laughs> uh, you gotta come here, folks. If you've ever been, ever been to the New Ohio, uh, you should come just to see how they used it, because this is genius. And Tim McMath, really. I mean, I think when you are working in a space that has large structural elements, you, um, should think about how to use them. Um, Don't hide. Embrace. <laughs> embrace. Um, and there's such beautiful structural elements here that we thought that the columns could feel like part of a museum. And how do we make them really feel like a museum? Uh, and I think that Tim came up with something really beautiful um, to really, again, embrace the inherent beauty of this of this space. And because the, the play, once this, this traumatic event happens, once we break out and expand into this world of magical realism, we start in this very hyper real, st- sterile even break mm-hmm. room with mm-hmm. fluorescent lights. I mean, you, you look at the ceiling tiles and it looks like it's your crappy break room that you'd have at your at old your office job. job. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it feels so real in there with our vending machine and our lockers and then to have it uh, break open into these stunning projections and the the lighting to as we kind of enter outer space it's been a very challenging design to pin down but I think it really and paid off. And it's been off. an interesting challenge in the room too like guys just trust us it's gonna be beautiful <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is always a trick right like to say to a cast like there's gonna be a ton of technical elements that you haven't seen yet mm-hmm. I mean uh were, were these demands of the technical elements inherent to the script uh, to to explode to the galaxy? Yes. Um, in the writing, Charisse wrote, Eloise explodes into stars. And like you do. Joe gives birth to herself. It is violent. So there's the therapy scene in particular. After the event, um, there's a moment where everybody kind of goes, spirals into their own world. And... We see Joe giving birth to herself and Claire um, coughing up ash and all of these individualized things that happen with these characters. And we we started with that scene because it seemed like the hardest. And it turned out it wasn't, I mean, it was hard. Um, but it wasn't as hard as some other scenes in the play, which was a fascinating thing to learn. Yeah, and I also love... Uh, I just love impossible plays as an audience and a reader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
to me, it's like I always ask the question, how, how, why does this have to be a play? Why isn't this a movie? Why isn't this a television show? Why isn't this a painting or a dance piece or whatever? And so um, for me, impossible plays are kind of an opportunity to welcome collaboration as opposed to working alone. And so I, I wrote those stage directions with great excitement, knowing that Becca's Claire coughing up peach pits uh, or ash is going to be very different than another actress. And I want Becca's version of that and Jen's version of the larger picture. Um, so for me, it's really, it's really a, it's like a, a leap of faith is what some people call it. But, but to me, it's like a leap of exciting theatricality that um, is the reason why I go to the theater. Absolutely. <laughs> Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that that's sort of my jam. Cool. So thank you. I'm <laughs> yeah. so we're, we're on the same Sweet. same wavelength there. Um, I had I want to end with the big question, and I, I don't really know how to phrase it. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of throw this out there: bigness versus smallness. <laughs> uh, something that really struck me throughout watching the play, and that I said I have to ask them about this, and I kept trying to formulate the question, and again, still not there, folks. Uh, so. You have a play that's about the cosmos and at the same time about how individual people are processing trauma. And that juxtaposition to me was like, like this, is, this is what I'm taking from this play. And it's going to leave me with a lot of things to churn over and think about as I go. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about what that relationship between these individual people who work in this one museum who have gone through this particular event that relationship to we're dealing with how galaxies consume each other. Uh, like, what was that like to process in the room as you're developing this play? Big question. So, <laughs> um, something we've talked about a lot in the the two years that we've been working on this together um, is how do you make eggs and deal with the impossible? Um, and I I think that that's kind of been the underlying thread throughout this work is how do you how do you go how do you take the next step in front of you and also process everything i think we um we talked about this in the talk back earlier we're in, inundated all the time with news and constantly getting information at our fingertips and we also need to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves and the, i think the the galaxy is a, a metaphor for all of that and uh, I mean also literally there are cannibal galaxies um, but something I've been thinking about in terms of cannibal galaxies is that um, this is a very long-winded answer um, the the process of the galaxies coming together through gr the gravity the gravitational pull of the stronger galaxy irrevocably changes the stars and the planets and the the other galaxy and I think we as humans, when we are pulled into somebody else's gravity, are changed irrevocably. Um, and I think the macro and the micro of that has been something that I've been thinking about a lot through this process. I don't know if that's an answer, but that's, that's what I've been meditating on. I think that's a pretty damn good answer, actually. Solid. Solid. Yeah. Oh, good. Comes up. <laughs> the show is Cannibal Galaxy. We're at the New Ohio. Uh, Y'all run through... Sunday, Sunday, June 17th. Tickets and more information can be found at BetweenTwoBurrows.com T-O-T-W-O T -O. Okay, yeah. Queens T and Brooklyn. Yeah, represent. <laughs> what, what Queens at? Astoria. Yeah. Yeah, Woodside, right. right. Woodside right here. Um, I, I used to live in Sunset Park. It's cool. Uh, I love both. So thank you 
all for doing thank this. And thank you, so you for beautiful you. work. Thank, thank you. Sweet. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Sharice, Jen, and Becca for hanging out after the show to chat. You can catch Cannibal Galaxy, a love story, at the New Ohio, 154 Christopher Street in Manhattan through June 17, 2018. Head to BetweenTwoBurrows.com for a link to tickets and more information. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please like it on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. My name is Robert A.K. Gagno. You can find me at robertgagno.com. Until next time, go see a show. That was so fun. Was it was fun. excellent. You're excellent like job. really good at this. Yeah. Uh, you make yeah. us feel Like really I said, calm. 301 episodes in, I maybe.